Thank you, Marcus. And good morning again, and Happy New Year again. Uh, if you're like me, you see the new year as an opportunity to better yourself, and many of you made some resolutions. Perhaps you made a resolution to lose weight or to get in shape, uh, to be better when you play family board games, uh, to get organized or get a better grip on your finances, maybe to take up a new hobby or to read more. And some of these are good and beneficial things, but this morning I would like to talk to you about something that is of the utmost importance for those of us who identify as Christians. This is something that we should resolve to do. This year, I challenge you to commit to God's church in new and vibrant ways. You know, as we see our society and the institutions that, that uh, we're so familiar with beginning to kind of fall apart around us, we would hope that the church is there for people to turn to. But I believe we are in desperate need of a reset in the American church. At a conference we went to last year, the speaker said that a regular attender, a regular attender at church, is now considered a person who attends once a month. That is a regular attender. And over the last two years, overall church attendance has declined nationwide between 20 and 33%. While some can't attend in person, many have just decided that church isn't very important. For far too many, the church has become more like a club. You, can, you come when you can fit it into your schedule or perhaps your kid's sports schedule. The reality is, if you call yourself a Christian... God expects you to go, and not just go, but be involved in church. He says in 1 John, the, uh, the Apostle John wrote the book of 1 John so that you might know that you're saved. And here's what John says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. This was written for those of you who believe so that you may know that you're saved. And a sign of your salvation is attendance in fellowship with the church. Because you can't love the brothers if you're not here. You can't love if you're not here. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Being obedient demands that we are involved in church. This morning we'll take a look at the first church in the book of Acts. And my hope is that this text will stir our, her our hearts to a different kind of resolution this year. As we look at the book of Acts, in Acts 1, Jesus promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. We see that happen. He commissioned the disciples to take the gospel to Jerusalem, to Samaria, Judea, Ecuador. Jesus gave the disciples 
marching orders. And we pick up the text with Acts 1, verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? What are you doing? Why are you just standing there? Get to work. Jesus gave you a job. An alternative title for the sermon this morning could be, Can You Teach an Old Dog Really Old Tricks? This church is over 130 years old. But I believe that we can learn from the early church. That church got to work. Peter shared the gospel. We're not reading that sermon today. I would encourage you to go read Acts 2. Read the sermon that Peter gave. This is no soft sermon. In fact, at one point he says, this Jesus whom you crucified. It is powerful. I encourage you to read that. But he goes and he gives that sermon. And as a result of receiving the gospel that Peter shared, 3,000 people were saved. And so that brings us to the text that we will be in this morning. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts 2 verse 41. And please stand for the reading of God's word. Acts 2 verse 41. Acts 2, verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. And so our question this morning, the first one in your outline, if you have your, uh, your, your little handout with you, the, the first question is, what is the church? And that's pretty easy. Verse 41 tells us, the church are those who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There may be some of you here this morning who don't know Jesus. You're not a part of the church. The church are those people who have received Jesus. Jesus Christ. Now, I think it's important to point out here that, that after believing, these people went and were immediately baptized. You know, this is one of two ordinances, along with communion, that we'll practice later, that God, that Jesus himself, has called us to do. Baptism and communion. In the early church, when people were saved, they immediately followed that command to be baptized. We're not saved through baptism, but we obediently follow what Jesus has called us to do. If you're here this morning and you believe in Jesus, you should have been baptized. If you're not baptized, uh, I would encourage you to consider that. 
too many people begin their walk with Jesus in immediate disobedience. Be baptized. If you'd like to be baptized, you can tell us, uh, and we'll, we will schedule those. If you need to be baptized and you want to be, you can take out that card uh, that's in the seat back in front of you. Fill that out. Just say your name, your phone number, and I want to get baptized. And you can bring that to me this morning. So, who is the church? The church are those who believe in Jesus Christ. Those who have received him as their Lord and Savior. And so we come to our second question. How did the church respond? How did the church respond? Well, verse 42 tells us this. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. The text gives us four clear principles that the church, believers, need to be committed to if we want to be the church that God calls us to be. Committing to these four things will radically alter the life, the unity, and the outreach of the church. The life, the unity, and the outreach of the church. And these things are biblical teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. Biblical teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. And I want to talk for a second about the word devoted that the English uh, standard version uses. Um, some of yours may say steadfast, but I want to talk about that word. In the, in the Greek, this word means something quite a bit stronger than how we understand the word devoted today. It means to persist obstinately. Now, if you've known an obstinate person, or a child before, I think you have an understanding of what this word really means. But to define it for you, it means to stubbornly refuse to change one's opinion or actions. It has as synonyms words like stubborn, headstrong, willful, steadfast, and the one that I love and will use in the rest of the sermon, tenacious. Tenacious is a much stronger word than devoted, isn't it? That's actually what the Greek word means. These new believers in this infant church in Jerusalem tenaciously persisted in biblical teaching, in fellowship, in communion, and in prayer. Let's look at the first one. The church tenaciously persisted in their commitment to biblical teaching. You know, there's this weird anti-intellectualism that has crept into the church Right? We've made church about how you feel and about your experience. But that's not what the Bible talks about. Paul tells us in Romans 12, verse 2, that we should be transformed by the renewal of our minds. In Colossians, he says to put on the new self, which is renewed in knowledge. In 1 Peter, Peter writes to the church to prepare our minds for action. And in 2 Peter, he says to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. We grow in faith when we grow in our knowledge of God. We grow in faith when we grow in our knowledge of God. It won't happen otherwise. We do that through the study of God's Word, which is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, 
for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Biblical teaching is life-changing. It will change your life. It transforms and renews our minds. It trains us in righteousness. Biblical teaching equips us for good works, prepares us for action. Biblical teaching guides us and guards us from error. We need to be learning God's Word. We need to be growing in God's Word. And to do this, we also need faithful and sound leaders and teachers of God's Word. Listen to what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. Command and teach these things. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We need leaders who will teach the Word of God. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Later, we're going to talk about small groups. Sorry, I got a little fast here. But later, we're going to talk about small groups. If you're interested in leading a small group, uh, take out one of those cards, fill it out, let us know. You can bring that to me after the service. Please consider how you can be involved. You know, biblical teaching is a sign of a healthy church. It's a sign of a healthy church. Paul warned in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said this, he said, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Happens a lot in church today, doesn't it, around this country? They will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The early church committed itself to biblical teaching. If we want to be the church that God calls us to be, we need to tenaciously persist in our learning of God's Word. We need to tenaciously persist in biblical teaching. And right now, this is a, a list of the studies um, just out of God's Word. We have other ones, uh, but these are studies of books of the Bible that are ongoing right now, though you can crack, cross uh, Hosea off the list. Dennis just told me he's finishing that this morning. Uh, he'll be going to next week. Uh, they will be doing core foundations in our faith, which would be a great class um, during the first service. Biblical teaching is a sign of a healthy church. Second, the church tenaciously committed to fellowship. This is really important. I, like, we do the Bible stuff, I think, pretty well. But are you committed in fellowship? Are you committed to fellowship? The Greek word kunania that means fellowship or participation, has the idea with it of sharing something in common. Sharing something in common. First and foremost, fellowship is based on unity. 
Uh, I don't know if you're like me, you know, I'm a football coach. I really enjoy watching college football playoffs. I'm sorry for Ohio State, but go TCU, beat Michigan. Um, But if you watch some of those games yesterday, it's fascinating to me. I see these team or these fans that are united in fellowship around their favorite team. It is amazing to me how difficult it is for those of us in the church who are united in a common confession of faith in Jesus Christ. It is amazing to me how hard it is for us to fellowship sometimes. We've got way too many other things to do. I mean, we got to get up in the morning. That's hard. We got to take a shower. I got to have a cup of coffee before I can do much of anything. You know, and gosh, it's online anyway. It is difficult for us as churches today, as a fellowship, it is difficult for us to come together and truly love each other. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul describes the church as a physical body with all its members having important jobs. And in verse 12, he says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. We are one body. Imagine if you just lost your foot today. If your foot just decided, I think I'm going to sleep in this morning. It wouldn't go well, especially with all the ice. Fellowship is based first and foremost on unity. Second, fellowship is based on love for other Christians. In the middle of talking about unity of the body in chapter 12 and the spiritual gifts in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, Paul inserted, and this context I think is important, He inserted the very familiar passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that defines what love is. Amidst talking about unity, Paul talked about love because you can't have fellowship and be united with other Christians unless you love them. Jesus commanded this. In John chapter 13, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And in fact, Hebrews 10, we read it earlier. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love. I need you to stir me to love. We need each other. We must be tenaciously persistent in fellowship, and to do that, we have to love each other. Fellowship strengthens and empowers the church as well. It strengthens and empowers the church. Through fellowship, we care for each other. We bear each other's burdens, both spiritually and physically. We provoke each other to good deeds, and we encourage each other. Finally, I would say this, fellowship promotes evangelism. Notice what what Jesus said in John. He said that the world will know us by the love that we have for each other. And we'll read, as we read earlier, but we'll get into verse 47 of Acts 2 in a minute. The early church had favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number. 
If we want to be the church that God calls us to be, a church that is energetic, a church that is on mission, a church that is united and growing, we need to tenaciously persist in fellowship. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, biblical fellowship includes, but it far exceeds Sunday attendance. If we are to know each other well enough to take care of each other, to bear each other's burdens, to provoke each other to love and good deeds, to encourage each other, we have to be committed to spending time together, not simply sitting next next to each other a few days a month. We have to be committed to spending time together. This year, we're making a strong push in our church to get involved with small groups. As I mentioned earlier, we want to develop teachers for these but we also want to develop tenacious participation in small groups where true, deep fellowship can occur. Thirdly, the church tenaciously persisted in their commitment to communion. They tenaciously persisted in their commitment to communion. Communion serves to focus the the church on what Christ has done and what he will do. 1 Corinthians 11 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Looking backwards, the bread and the cup are for remembrance of Christ's work on the cross for us. And looking forward, when we take communion, we proclaim Christ's work until he comes again. It's fascinating to me that even so close to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the early church immediately began to persist tenaciously in communion. Communion proclaims the source of our unity. Together through the bread, we proclaim Christ's body broken for us. And through the cup, together when we take it, we proclaim the new covenant in Jesus Christ. What are we united by and what is our fellowship centered on? It is centered on the cross and that's where we go with communion. Communion points to our great hope in the return of Jesus Christ. And this is important for the strengthening of of our common faith. It is also important. It is also important to remind us of our need to proclaim the Lord's death. We are to be the heralds of the gospel. The good news. See communion encourages evangelism. Communion encourages us to share our faith and we need to tenaciously persist in communion. It must never become simply a ritual. In a little bit, Marcus will come up and he'll lead us in a time of communion. And I pray that we approach that time appropriately. Finally, the church tenaciously persisted in their commitment to prayer. 
We are commanded to pray. Luke, in his gospel, tells us a parable from, from Jesus that taught that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. And in Romans 12, Paul tells the church in Rome to be constant in prayer. To the Ephesians, he said, pray at all times. And to the Colossians, he said, continue steadfastly in prayer. To the church at Thessalonica, Paul said, pray without ceasing. Jesus taught about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. Prayer focuses us on the majesty and glory of God. Prayer focuses us on God's kingdom and His will. Prayer focuses us on a reliance on God as the provider of our needs. It focuses on the forgiveness that both we need and we need to extend to others. And prayer focuses on our desire to overcome sin as we seek to be holy as God is holy. Through prayer, we submit to God. A church that tenaciously persists in prayer is a healthy church. I know no matter how much you pray, you feel guilty for not praying enough. I know that. But if we want to be a healthy church, we need to be committed to prayer both privately and corporately. The early church tenaciously persisted in these things. They tenaciously persisted in biblical teaching, in fellowship, in communion, I'm sorry, communion and prayer. They didn't try the newest and the flashiest strategies for church growth. They didn't do that. They didn't give in to the culture around them. And they didn't become some sort of country club. The church committed to these four things. Biblical teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. Well, how did this response to the gospel affect the church? Well, first, the church was in awe of what God was doing. When you hear about how God is working here at First Baptist in the lives of his people, you would be in awe. We had a great time of elder prayer on Tuesday night, um, praying about the things that we're thankful for in this church and the great things that are happening. But you need to be in fellowship to see those things, don't you? Second, the church was united. The text says in verse 44 that they were together and had all things in common. Third, the church was marked by a desire to help those in need. Again from 1 John, John points to our desire to help other believers as a sign of your salvation. Let me say that again. A sign of of your salvation is whether or not you have a desire to help those in need. That, that's scary. He says this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? It's a question you should ask yourself. If I see somebody in need and I'm not willing to help them, and in this case the brothers, the church, and I'm not willing to help them, you should ask yourself if you're saved. 
This is what John says, not Kevin. You can only know the needs of other believers if you are in fellowship in the church. The church met in both large and small groups. They went to the temple for instruction and to share the gospel. And they met in homes where they shared meals. They continued fellowship in these smaller groups. And these meetings were marked by tremendous hospitality and joy. They had glad and generous hearts. The church responded by praising God. How could they not? Not only had they been saved, but they were committed to God's teaching through the word. They were committed to each other through fellowship. They were bathed in communion constantly. And they were committed to prayer. How could they not praise God? The church found favor with unbelievers. This was a real church practicing what they believe. Not showing up for, to, to clock their hour but actually practicing what they believed. This was an attractive church, joyfully taking care of others. The joy and authenticity of the early church led to their favor among unbelievers. This is a church committed to sharing the gospel. And we know that because the Lord continued to grow the church. You know, we've just celebrated Christmas at the end of the month at our, our family dinner that we're going to have together, we're going to celebrate the many ways that God has blessed this church. Soon we'll be celebrating the work of Christ at Easter. But people of First Baptist Church of Sheridan, why are you just standing there? Why are you just standing there? Let us resolve this year to tenaciously persist in biblical teaching in fellowship, joining together in, in communion, and be committed tenaciously to prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. And God, thank you for the example that the early church sets for us. Father, that we could follow that example. Father, that we could be a church committed to biblical teaching, committed to fellowship, committed to communion, and committed to prayer. God, help us to be a church that honors and glorifies you. Help us to be a church that is vibrant, that is alive, that is united, and that is sharing the gospel. God, I pray that you would work in each and every one of our hearts. God, that we would be like C.S. Lewis, the last battle in the Chronicles of Narnia. God, whereas they climb into higher levels, as they go deeper and deeper into heaven, as they continue to say onward and upward, Father, help us to be onward and upward. God, as we enter into this time of communion now, um, and we remember the work of Christ, and we proclaim what Christ is going to do when he returns, Father, I pray that you would be glorified and honored by us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.